Thanks, Brother Ron. Uh, good morning. Good morning to the rest of you. Happy to be here. I, I feel like I can preach in this church. You guys, you guys know what's going on. Church that's uh, mission-minded. I don't have to, you know, uh, kind of go around the block to get you to understand stuff. And I go to some churches and I talk about missions, especially in the Middle East, and I get, you know, that look like dogs give you, you know. Like, that, that can happen? Yeah, that can happen. So, uh, anyways, I just uh, I'm thrilled to be here, especially, you know, Pastor Tim's being away and for him to trust me with this pulpit. It's a great privilege, uh, great privilege to be back in this church again. It's been a, been a few years. So, and I've traveled with, uh, with your pastor and, and uh, got to know him a bit, but uh, are you ready for some word today? Yes. That's what you're here for, right? So that's, that's what I want to bring you, but this is the thing. If you're looking for a, a three-point sermon, you're going to be greatly disappointed. Is that all right? I just want to bring a word to you, and then I want to wrap it up with a testimony of what God is doing. Is that okay? Sound like a good morning? We can just get right into the word, give a testimony. Now, I think last time I was here, I started with this, and I think it's even more appropriate now to start with this. Uh, Moses sent out how many spies to check out the promised land? Twelve. How many came back with a good report? What were their names? Oh, you know their names, Joshua and Caleb. We probably have folks in this church named Joshua and Caleb. Right? What were the name of the other ten? Who cares? They didn't do anything. They were the naysayers. They were the common people. We have them all over the world today. And they're nameless people because they have no hope they don't believe in anything, and they're not going to do anything. Amen? Amen? But I want to talk to a group of people with the mind of Joshua and Caleb that say, yes, we can, and that are people of hope. And, uh, and that's what I want to do, is I want to just bring some hope to you, because if you've been watching the news, guess what? It's all hopeless. But we serve a big God. And, uh, and I, I really kind of want to focus on that today. So, uh, you know, Brother Ron told you I've been traveling around. I've been all over the Middle East. I'm not even going to name the countries. But through the whole region over the last several years, I've been traveling to many majority Muslim countries. And uh, I have a report for you, gone in spite of the land. And that report to you is that Jesus is winning. Okay? And... You're not going to hear that report on CNN or your evening news or Oprah or MTV. They're not going to tell you those things. But I'm here as an eyewitness. I've been there, and I'm going to tell you that Jesus is winning. Now listen, sometimes this is a hard sell because I know when you watch the news and you see what's happening to our brothers and sisters over there, your fellow Christians, you're seeing what these, these people like ISIS are doing. Or I mean, it's just changed names. It's the same thing, right? It's been Al-Qaeda. It's been Muslim Brotherhood. It's... It's, it's been uh, Taliban, it's, it's just, it's ISIS, and uh, in, in, in something rises up inside you, you get a little angry, right? And I've even heard Christians speak out bloody threats against Muslims, and I, I personally against that. That's not, uh, I have to remind people all the time that Jesus shed no less blood for them than he did for you. And the fact is, they're simply lost. That's it. Lost people do bad things. That's it. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. Okay? Our battle is really not against 
President Obama. It's not against ISIS. Our battle is in the spirit realm. We need to be people of prayer. We need to be people of hope and people of encouragement. So let me just really quickly just pray over this word this morning. Heavenly Father, I just lift your name. Lift the name of Jesus in this place. Your, your Holy Spirit is welcome first and foremost here. Father, I pray that this word will be something that just encourages hearts and, and stirs spirits this morning. And we give everything that we say, everything that we do, everything that we are, let it be only to glorify your name, to praise you, and to advance your kingdom. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, ten spies come back, right? They discourage the whole lot of them. And they say, you know, everything from these, <laughs> there's giants in the land, and it's just not going to happen, right? Joshua I, begins to tear his clothes, and, and he just has to, all of a sudden, he has to be a voice. He has to see something different in the Spirit, Okay, He has to have a faith. He has to see something, even amongst the current circumstances, the current situation of what he's gone in and viewed and seen with his own eyes, and he's had to see something different. He's had to say, wait a second, I know the God that I serve. I know who we are as a people, and I know that we can take the land. And it says in Numbers, and I'm going to read out of the New King James, uh, Numbers 14, if you're taking notes, uh, verses 6 through 9 says, But Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. It is the Lord's delight. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Here it is. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. That is a powerful statement. They had just heard a report of fear. And can I tell you a little something about Islam? Islam from its very core, from its basis, from its foundation, is fear. I've read the Quran, and I'm reading it through it again, and I don't encourage anybody else to read it unless you have a very solid foundation of the Word of God first. Okay? Know what God says about us. Know your faith before you really get into that. But I'm going to tell you that it is fear-based for the followers of Islam, and it's fear-based for those who do not follow Islam. So wherever you are, whether you're a follower or not, there's fear involved. Okay, so all through this Bible, and I just read it, and I, I'm ta telling you from beginning to end, there is a theme that God says to His people. Do not fear. I am with you. Be of courage. Do not fear. I am with you. I mean, over and over and over again. So what does the church in October 2014 do? We fear everything. Right? What is the one thing that God says to fear? Him. So what do we do in the church today? We fear everything else and we don't fear God. I think we've got a little backwards. And that's why I am uh, titling this message, The Shift, because sometimes we've got to get a shift in our thinking, just like uh, Joshua did. He had to come and say, listen, this is an exceedingly good land. Okay? 
For the kingdom, that land is our inheritance. The kingdom of God must advance there. And it will. If we read in other parts of, of the Bible, we see very encouraging verses. Uh, you know, everything from, you know, we can think of Habakkuk, where it says, uh, and the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as a water. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the water covers the sea. You know, we see that, that things are going to happen. We see um, in Revelations, you know, uh, John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. God gives him a vision of the end days, things to come. He gives you a vision of heaven. John sees in this vision people from every tribe, tongue, language, people. I mean, it's an all-inclusive thing. People will be there. And uh, in my, my travels, I am seeing very influential Muslims coming to Christ by the thousands. And again, you're not going to hear that, but I'm here to tell you that Jesus is winning. People are coming to Christ. All you're going to hear about is the Islamization of Europe, and they're coming over here, they're coming to get us. I mean, just, you know, I can't even, I barely stay on Facebook anymore. People are so full of fear. And uh, I just want to be a voice of encouragement. Okay, so I shared with you a little bit out of the New Testament. What happens? Is this a new issue with the church? This is not taking God by surprise. God is not worried. Should we pay, pray for our brothers and sisters who are under persecution? Yes. Are they in a very difficult situation? Yes. Do we need to stand with them? Yes. But I want to give you something now out of the New Testament to help you think just a little bit different. This isn't anything new. This isn't a verse or a story you haven't heard before but I think it's extremely relevant today. Acts chapter 8. What happens in Acts? It's the establishment of the church. When the church was originally established, thousands came to Jesus daily. The apostles were doing great things. Uh, people who were lost were, come, were being found. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, there was a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Saul breathed out murderous threats against the church. Saul was a religious man. In his heart, in his mind, he thought he was doing what was right, didn't he? Verse 1 of Acts 8, it says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. We're talking about Stephen in the previous chapter. It says, At that time, a great persecution rose against the church in Jerusalem. Well, this isn't anything new that we're seeing today. And they were scattered all throughout the region. Yeah, I just came back from Kuwait. And you know what? Believers from Syria, Iraq, they were coming there to be trained. They wanted training. They wanted to know how to reach their region. It says they were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. But uh, then it talks about a devoted, devoted men carried Stephen off. It says, but then as for Saul, he made havoc on the church entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. But here's the beautiful thing. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Is this microphone on? Am I talking to a mission-minded church? Folks, that's good news. 
You see, there is hope in the persecution. There is purpose in the persecution. Can I dare to say that? Is it always a bad thing? It's, it's a bad... I mean, we don't want to see the blood of our brothers and sisters shed. But there's purpose in it. The people get scattered and they preach the Gospel everywhere they go. And something is happening in the Middle East and in the world today. The more you clamp down and put pressure on the church, the more it seems to grow. The more it seems to expand. And I don't know about you, but I'm all about the Kingdom of God expanding. I'm all about people preaching the Gospel where it's never been preached. What happened to Saul of Tarsus? A man who spoke murderously against the church. What would have happened if all the Christians said, we need to wipe this man off the earth? We need to take a man like Saul who's coming against us and we need to have him killed. Isn't that the mentality of some Christians today? Well, I'm here to tell you there are some Sauls out there. They might be named Abu or something else, but they're out there and they're just lost in their religion. But when they are found, when they come to know Jesus, they make magnificent, fantastic, powerful Christians. And they do some amazing things. And I wish I I could take all afternoon to tell you testimony after testimony of people who have come to follow Jesus Christ. And they're doing amazing things. So be of courage. God is in control. God has a purpose in our day. The question is, what are we going to do about it? The question is, what is our role as Christians in a church in America? Well, we can pray. That's like, you know, always like the Christian answer to everything, but it's true. You know, it's not just cliche. We can be people of prayer. We can be people who support those who are out there doing it. So here, let me just give you another verse of Isaiah. Here's one of those just do not fear things. Says, so do not fear. I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I withhold you with my righteous right hand. That's Isaiah 41.10. So who is this God that we worship? Who is this God that we've come in here to hear His Word? Who is it that we lift our hands and we sing praises to His name? Can we wrap our mind around who God really is? I mean, do we, if we really got a grasp, do we have a relationship with Him? Do we serve a God who is bigger than our circumstances? I say yes. But, you know, we can argue over all the attributes of God and is He you know, three, is He one, and all those things. But when it all comes down to Him, you can't really describe Him. And you can't really explain Him. You can only experience Him. And I want to just experience a move of God today. I want to be part of where He's moving and what He's doing. And He's moving in many parts of the world. I mean, we know of what's going on in China. You guys are very connected to that country. And uh, we know that the greatest harvest in the history of the world is happening in China. God's moving there. But the fact is, God's moving. So who is God? Well, you know, he's, as I said, He's bigger than our circumstances. He is bigger than our fears. We can put our trust and our faith in Him. He's bigger than our doubts. He's bigger than our finances. That's good news. He's bigger than our governments. 
That's good news. <laughs> Let's get some amens. He's bigger than our worries and our complaints. He's bigger than our enemies. Here's one I like. But he's bigger than Islam. He's bigger than Hinduism. He's bigger than Buddhism. He's bigger than communism. He's bigger than your critics. But I like this. He's bigger than your afflictions and he's bigger than your diseases. I got to say an amen to that. He is God. This is who we are children of. This is whose promises we lean on. This is the one who sent us Jesus who gave us an empowerment to be his church. Do you believe you are the body of Christ? Oh, you say yes. Do you believe it? Do you really believe? Let me hear you say, we are the body of Christ. Okay, you said that pretty convincingly. If we are the body of Christ, Jesus Christ, Christ, I'm not going to insult your intelligence, Christ was not his last name. Christ was his function. What is Christ? The anointed one, the anointing, right? Jesus, the Christ, lived his life, did his ministry, died on a cross, went to prepare a place for us, Christ never left the earth, it just changed bodies. We are the body of Christ. We now have an anointing because what Jesus did for us. Because he gave us a great commission. He said, all authority has been given to me. The anointing now is I mean, Therefore, you go. I'm giving the anointing to you. You go and do the task. You go and reach the world. You now have an anointing. You are the body. Go do what I did. Matter of fact, he said, you will do even greater things than I have done because I go to the Father. I mean, can we wrap our minds around that? You see, if we really truly believe who, if, who we are in Christ, if we truly believe that and understand what God has empowered us to do, oh, we see things different. We can live a little differently. Talk about confidence. You see, you better know who you are in Christ. You better know what God has called you to do and what God says about you. Because if you don't know that, you'll believe what anybody else says about you. And I don't know if you've experienced this, but there's people who will drag you down and tell you just about anything negative about you. And you better not cough because they'll start talking about, ooh, you know, know, stay away from me. There's that Ebola going around or whatever else. I mean, people will just talk craziness. We are the body of Christ. Guess what? Jesus gave the Great Commission. He said, I'm leaving. Tag, you're it. If this world is going to be one, it's got to be through you. My followers, my believers, we're it. How is the Middle East going to be reached through Christ? How is the world going to be reached? Do this. Now do this. Uh Uh-oh, that's called a challenge. That's it. We're it. Right? And we will go on and on and on and watch the world grow worse and worse until the task is finished. Now here's the thing. I talked to you about the Apostle John. He, he, said, he showed that all people were before the throne of God, right? All of them were going to be there. That was, that was God's plan. All ethnicities, all nations, that's ethnos, ethnicities, right? They're all there. I think this is amazing. You know, John actually heard different languages in heaven. He saw different dress, cultures. He saw it before the throne of God. I think that's amazing to me. 
we aren't all just the same thing. He, I mean, God created us as with an identity. I always tell people, you know what? If there's certain people you don't like and have, if you don't like, you better get used to them here, because they're going to be worshiping with you right alongside you in heaven. So you better start liking and loving everybody like Jesus did. So, so he, John sees all this, but Jesus says this, Matthew twenty four fourteen. This is very key. Jesus said, the gospel of the kingdom must be preached as a testimony to all nations, all ethnicities. Then guess what? He said, then the end will come. In other words, Jesus doesn't know the day or the hour, does he? What's he waiting on? Us. Jesus is actually waiting on us for him to return. That means, if he hasn't returned yet, because he said as soon as the gospel of the kingdom is preached, testimony to all nations, then the end will come. That means there's still some ethnicities out there that have no Christian witness among them. No churches, 0.00% Christian among that ethnicity. We have some work to do. That is what I'm called to do. That's just my calling. My calling is to go to the completely unengaged, unreached groups and ethnicities, train, equip, and mobilize Christians from that region to go among that unreached people group, plant churches, and let's finish this whole thing, wrap it up, let's have Jesus return. That is my calling. We, the cool thing is now we know who they are, we know where they are, where they're located on the, in the world, and we know what the ethnicities are, and we can start to get the gospel among them one by one. But somehow, uh, you know, I'm not here to lift myself up because uh, only God can do something like this. It has to be God. This is nothing that I've learned in my own, you know. This, this is actually what God does. There's another theme. I told you about the one, do not fear. It's another theme that goes on in there. God seems to use the least likely candidates, those who people would just shake their head and said, oh man, it, he did what? Oh, that's got to be God. Yeah, so if I'm sitting here saying, well, God's using me to do this, well, guess what? He just found the least of the likely. Because everybody's going to shake their head. People that know me go, what? Here's a theme, okay? Let's talk about Gideon for a minute. Can I talk about the underdogs that God loves to use and pull up? Gideon, what's, what's a trade dog Gideon? He wasn't very, very brave at the moment that God came up and spoke to him. God says, mighty man of valor, didn't he? Right? He was afraid. The Midianites have come and ravaged them for seven years. He wasn't very strong. I imagine if all your food and everything gets, gets taken away every year, you're probably not real strong. You might be malnourished. Um, you know, your people are lacking. And God says, mighty man of valor. God will always speak to you about your potential. God will always speak to you about who he sees you as, not who you are at that moment. So he says this to Gideon. Long story short, Gideon goes on and, and gathers his army and he musters up everybody he can to fight this Midian army, about 135,000 of them. The odds were, at that time, about four to one. Now imagine strong, well-fed, Warriors against your hodgepodge guys who've been taken advantage of and right for seven years, and you're up four to one. God says, No, those aren't those aren't my odds. Because even at that odds, 
somebody could say, look at how strong the Israelites are, and they can take it, right? I mean, that's really kind of what's going on here. So God starts to cut them down and down and down. So he's left with 300. Do you know what the odds were when he was down to 300? He was at God odds. The, odd, the odds were 450 to 1. That's what that equates to. Now, I'm no CPA, but I, I think that's it. 450 to 1 were the odds. God had better show up. Can anybody say underdog? Well, we know the whole story. He just said, be obedient. Gideon was obedient. The whole situation took care of itself. And uh, that seems to be how God works. But, but you know, there was another person in the Bible, Elijah. Now, Elijah was much different than Gideon. Elijah actually was a bad dude. I mean, Elijah just said, it ain't going to rain till I say it rains. I mean, he's a little bit bolder, right? So, so here Elijah is, and uh, he, he's going to go up against the prophets of Baal, Right? That's kind of what he's known for. He's having a good day. And uh, what, how many prophets of Baal were there? 450 to 1? Well, that sounds familiar. Now, it wasn't just that. Nobody ever really talks about uh, the, the prophets um, that sat at uh, Jezebel's table. There was another 400 of them. So we're really talking about 850 to 1. So... So we know the whole story. God shows up for Elijah. Underdog situation. I mean, we can talk about Moses. Moses was in an underdog situation from the time he was born. I mean, you, know, you don't put a baby in a basket and send it in the Nile. That's just not a good situation, right? But from the very beginning of Moses' life, he had to be rescued so that he could be a rescuer. I mean, that's the whole story of Moses. But I'm looking at Moses right here when he finally has the exodus, and they get away from Pharaoh, and they're going off away, and they have finally have a little bit of deliverance, so to speak, and they come up to the sea. What happens? Pharaoh changes his mind. Egyptian army comes against them. Sea in front of them, army behind them, bad situation. God had better show up. And God does. Right? I just want to just tell you a couple stories. David and Goliath. David and Goliath is one of those underdog situations. It's probably everybody's favorite one because you've got this kid, probably 12, 14 years old. It wasn't even on the front lines with his brother, the least of his family. Jesse didn't even bring him in the house when Samuel came in to anoint a king. He wants to bring his strong boys that have been on the front lines. You know, those like, David, just leave him out there with the sheep. He couldn't possibly, couldn't possibly be the one. Let's just, uh, Samuel don't even need to see him. I mean, talk about the least. They don't even consider you. So what happens? He doesn't, the prophet doesn't see it. He's like, I'm not feeling it. You've got, there's got to be, I know I'm supposed to be here. But these ain't the guys. What else you got? Well, I got a little guy out in the back. Couldn't be him. Well, guess what? The least, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Is that some God... Situations better, God better show up. But here's, here's, here's really the big one. God likes to take the least likely and do something of his purposes through it. Now, today, the church 
sits there and say, man, we got everything against us. We got politics against us. We've got certain lifestyle agendas coming against us. We've got the media against us. We have uh, Islam against us. We have everything against us. I don't know. I read the Bible. I seem to think that God's setting us up for something good. Because he, set his, he sent his son into a situation that was not a good situation. An unwed teenage girl in a small town. Think about it. Mary was that girl. Jesus was that boy born to her. In a small town, everybody knows everybody's business. Let's just be real, right? That's why he couldn't do any, anything in his own hometown. He couldn't do any great miracles there. Why? Because they knew who he was. Isn't this the guy that... Mm. But not only was he not... Jesus was not born to royalty. He was not born in any kind of affluence or influence. Born among animals in a stable. Goodness. In Nazareth. Could anything good come from Nazareth? It's kind of like, can anything good come from Detroit? You hear people say that now. Oh, yeah, there's some churches in Detroit rising up right now. I think this is one of them. That's why I'm thrilled to be here. Does anything I say resonate with anybody today? I mean, are you seeing a little bit of shift of thinking happening here? That God is in control. We serve a big God, and He's bigger, and we don't need to fear. We need to pray. Amen? So, let me kind of shift again. I told you I'd give you some testimony. I'm running out of time. I want the, if, if these guys could kind of um, put my, my PowerPoint up. I want to talk to you a little bit of testimony, okay? I've talked to you about what could happen, what's happening. But let's, let's, let's just take a look at how it's happening. Now, there's many ways that God is moving in the world today. There's many ways that people are coming to know Jesus so this isn't just it, but this is my experience. And I want to just tell you uh, what God's called me to do. And, um, and let's, let's just see what takes us there. Go ahead and switch that slide for me. So here's a ministry just called Reach 1040. We're looking to reach the 1040 window where all those unreached people groups are I told you about. Those last few that really right now do not have a representative before the throne of God. They're, from the time Jesus gave the Great Commission till today, there's never been a church among them. They live their whole life and die and never meet a Christian one time in their life. Is that, is that crazy? Does that, does that break your heart like it breaks mine? I think everybody should hear an understandable explanation of the gospel at least one time. And uh, I, I just, that's, that's what challenges me. That's what motivates me. That's why I do what I do because... Um, I don't like the thought that somebody could go their whole life and never hear the name of Jesus one time. That just should not be. Go ahead and switch the slide for me. So you guys have been a church that has really kind of supported me and, and, and been really, really a blessing um, to, to us. So this is how you kind of have participated in finishing. The whole idea, remember, of the Great Commission is that it would be finished. Jesus gave it in the context that we would finish the task. That was it. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. All people. God loves Muslim people. God loves Hindu people. He loves Buddhist people. He loves you know, atheists. We don't have to love their ideologies. We don't have to love what they teach. We don't have to love what they do. They're lost. Remember I told you, lost people do bad things. But Jesus loves them. 
God loved them enough to send his son. And matter of fact, Jesus didn't just die so that we could come in here and sit on four inches of padding. Hear a couple good songs, hear a good message, you know, feel good about ourselves and just go out and live like the devil the rest of the week. That's not why Jesus died. Jesus died so that we could be the body of Christ, could be his people that would go and do and impact the world. That's what we're called to do. If we are followers of Jesus, we'll do what he did. And what did he say? He never promised anything. He never promised you any protection. He, never, he sent out 70 and he said to them, I'm sending you out as lamb, lambs among wolves. You know what wolves do to lambs? That's what Jesus said. That's not my idea. Jesus said that. Okay. Okay, so church planting, seminars. This is me. Uh, this is pretty much what one looks like. Uh, Brother Ron, Pastor Tim have, have traveled with me to Pakistan. Uh, we've, we've done a, a handful of them there. Um, upcoming conferences. I leave in four days going to Indonesia. We're going to do a focus on an island in Indonesia that has never had a church on it, never had a Christian on it. We're going to train, equip, and mobilize uh, believers on the main island of Java to go to that island and to plant churches. In 2009, I did this. I only had 90 gather. It was a very small group in Indonesia, and we, we focused on the island of Madura. And, uh, and, and in that conference, Elise Likely rose up. I mean, I've got pastors, I've got key leaders. A young lady, 24 years old, never been to seminary, never been to Bible college. She rose up and she said, at the altar we had some prayer time, she says, God's calling me to that island. I've, I've got to go be a missionary. I've got to get the gospel on that island. She stood up among them. That church, the, the, all the pastors there began to let her itinerate, raise some money. They sent her. The Indonesian church sent her to that island. Within six months, her name is Nui. Within six months, Nui had four house churches and 24 new baptized believers. She wasn't properly trained other than being a Christian. I mean, God will use anybody. But see, this is what we're doing. So we're going to do this all over again. We're going to try this out. We're going to do that in uh, Indonesia, Bhutan, Japan, and China. Um, you know, the next few trips coming up. I'll go ahead and switch that. And that's what it looks like. I just came back from Kuwait. I've just, I mean, within the last maybe like a week or 10 days, I, I just returned. Kuwait is very strategic. Um, it, it borders Iraq, Saudi Arabia, and has a water border with Iran. Very strategic place. Has what I call three big hitters of Islam. Uh, trained. Uh, more than 600 workers there, about 200 um, who have come, Christians who have come out of Syria, about 200 who have come out of Iraq, they found their way to Kuwait, and guess what? They're not done. They've scattered, but they're ready to preach the gospel everywhere they go. They're ready to go back to their own land and reach their countries. We were able to tr equip and mobilize them. We went right on the borders of Iraq, right up there. Abdali was right on the border there. They came and met us there, and then down at uh, it's, it's QASR down at the bottom corner of Saudi Arabia. The workers came in from there. We trained them. And then in Kuwait City, um, I was able to train 330 people there and um, just, just train them to do what Jesus said. The Bible. Okay? Um, long story. I'm not going to be able to get into how we train them or what they, we train them with, but, um, but it's, 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 this is what's going on. And there is an army being raised up for church planting, and these people are ready to give it all for it. Go ahead and switch that for me. This is what a new church looks like. This is uh, Pastor Asher in Karachi. Um, I've, I've done two, two conferences in Karachi, and this is really, these, 
the guys down in Karachi are really, in Pakistan, are really the ones who have really taken this thing and really running with it. Um, they're sending missionaries everywhere. And when I went back there, Pastor Asha said, since you've been here six months ago, we started a new church in this village outside of the city. It's about an hour and a half out into the villages uh, where there were no churches, and we started a church. And in six months, it's grown to about 30 people. And every one of the 30 people were former Muslims. They're now followers of Jesus, and we, we, we have... This was about midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, on a roof with no lights, no microphones. Um, all those folks you see there sitting on the floor, all former Muslims just six months earlier, they've all been baptized now. They're all believers and followers of Jesus, and they're about to split that church. See, here in America, you talk about a church split, that's a bad thing. Over there, if a church splits, that means it's grown too big for its safety, and it has to split off and, and begin to grow again. That's a good thing. And they're about ready to go and split half these people into another part of town and start a whole other congregation. It's happening. This is called Jesus winning through an un- unlikely person and other likely people like Pastor Asher or Nui, who I've told you about. Go ahead and switch that. So I hear I've told you all kinds of hope. I've told you things. I said, yes, we can. You know, you just, we can do this. We're doing it. Um, Jesus is winning. I've told you. What should I respond to all, all this be? Well, continue to catch the vision. I believe this is a church, very mission-minded, very, uh, you understand what the Great Commission is. You understand. Let's just catch the vision for finishing it. Let's finish the task together. Go ahead and keep, keep pressing that. It looks like, uh, for whatever reason, um, my, my PowerPoint wasn't combat, compatible with your computer. That's okay. Um, let's have a broken heart. Like I told you, you know, it breaks my heart to think that people live their life and never hear the name of Jesus one time. Let's let our, our hearts be broken with the things that break God's heart. Let's pray for more workers to enter the harvest. We need more people like young Nui Prada, and we need uh, more people like Asher and those who are, are working, and, and people like Shuresh, who I met in Kuwait, who are doing fabulous things. Um, giving so that more workers. I know that this has been a very generous church. I thank you for that, and I, and, um, I know that there's going to be a mission offering taken. I want you to know that any offering taken here today, um, I'm in a very fortunate situation right now. I won't always be there, but right now, um, because I'm still employed full-time and I'm getting ready to retire and go into full-time ministry, I'm not a full-time missionary yet. I'm working on it. Right now, though, I'm able to provide for my family 100% of all the mission funds. They don't go put food on my table or lights on in the house. They go right to this stuff. Um, we're going to be do, doing those conferences in Indonesia. I said, I'm leaving in four days. I'm going to come committing to Bhutan. Now, you say, well, you know, Bhutan, Japan, and China aren't really Muslim countries. God's expanding us into really the 1040 window into the unreached people there. So we're going to go where God's opening doors and, um, and everything. And for $2,800, we can train 400 people. That's pretty amazing. For $2,800, I mean, churches spend that on, I mean, non-kingdom stuff like, you know. So uh, just so you know that if you give and invest in this ministry, that's where it's going to, it's going to go to train, equip, and mobilize believers to go and reach these areas. Go ahead and switch that for me. And uh, all I ask is... uh, you know, will you help? I, I, we look at the children. My wife's not here. She's really focused on, on, on ministry to children and women. And uh, I believe that, that the young people are the future of a country. They're the seed. They're the future lawmakers. They're the future, uh, you know, um, politicians and, and influential people. And if, if we can reach them in that generation, uh, they're most open to the gospel, um, we can have a bright future. And I believe there's some bright futures in some countries already because children are coming to Christ also. Um, but we want that, them to know the purpose. So go ahead and switch that one more time. 
So um, in, in Kuwait, if you can switch that slide for me. In Kuwait, I met a, a man by the name of Abu. This is Abu. Abu is a, a very wealthy man, and um, he's Kuwaiti. And, and if you know anything about Gulf Arabs, Gulf Arabs are kind of, they were very wealthy. Um, people associate sometimes mission with poverty, but the very wealthy are completely bankrupt spiritually. He's just as lost as anybody sitting in a mud hut somewhere. Um, the thing is, he, uh, he, he, most, most Gulf Arabs are, are kind of arrogant by nature because they, they have money and they just look down on everybody else. And uh, you typically are not going to have a friendly conversation with them, if any at all. And I was walking through the mall and I caught eyes with him and I just simply smiled. And he, he, he stood up and he called me over to him. And he said, where are you from? I said, the United States. That's an open question that can lead to anywhere. And um, he said, I want to thank you. He said, I was greatly affected by the invasion of Iraq. And your people came and liberated us. And I lost my sister in that. But, but I, I, I have my lifestyle now because you guys sacrificed your people for my people. And I want to thank you. Can I buy you a coffee and everything else? And, and we had a, a nice dialogue. And I began to talk to him about things of the kingdom. Here's the amazing thing. He said, are you a Christian? You know what I said? I didn't say yes. I said, I'm a follower of Jesus. Now, whenever he has heard of Christians, a wall goes up. I know who you are. I know who I am. I said, I'm a follower of Jesus. And he gave me one of those looks. What does that mean? Oh, an open door. I'm a follower of Jesus. See, if I said Christian, all of a sudden that changes the conversation. Okay, I know you are. Okay, thanks. Open dialogue. Jesus showed a way to a kingdom. You know what he said to me? He said, I, knew a, I have a friend who, had, who met a Christian, and they prayed for my friend. And he's telling me this privately. He says, and that, my friend was healed. I said, I know. I said, I believe that. I've seen that all the time. That's what Jesus does. You know Jesus as a prophet, and what did he do? He healed even the prophet you know. Yeah? Yes. Let's, he says, I need shoulder surgery. I've got a torn disc. Can you pray for me? Absolutely. I made friends with this man. Jesus talks about the man of peace. I told you he sent those out. He said how to go into a town, two by two. He said, what? Look for the man of peace and let the man of peace do his job. This was a man of peace. This is how Jesus said you'll win that town through the man of peace. Long I just wanted you to know who he is. But I want to say thank you on behalf of him because he represents people, people who are lost, people who are hurting, people who have no hope and are living under fear. And I want to say thank you on behalf of him because people like him are being reached. So um, we're, I'm going to continue to work with Abu. I've got a relationship with him now, and he's an open door to something much greater. So um, I want to close with that. Thank you. Uh, my, my Arabic isn't as good, but it's, uh, you know, shukran, jazwazil, jazwilan. And um, I want you to be encouraged. The whole purpose of my message was to show you in scriptures, God says, be of courage. Do not fear. I am with you. I am your God. Right? Let's fear him in a good way. Just like I, I, fear, I feared my dad when I was a kid because I knew he was in control. He could make me or break me. Right? And uh, there, were, there was times it, when, when my dad's wrath came on and it was, it was um, you know, um, well, you know, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, but 
But I want you to be encouraged. The, the, the news will bring you down. See things through eyes of faith. See things as a believer. See things as the body of Christ. You've heard reports, you've heard testimonies, and you continue to hear more. God is moving. Jesus is winning. Thank you. God bless you.